Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people with news, views and expert interviews. Hi and welcome to Constructive Voices. I'm Steve Randall. On this episode, Henry MacDonald has been speaking with Joe Jack Williams. He's a certified passive house consultant who's an associate and researcher at FCB Studios and has a special interest in improving school buildings. If a school feels important and feels loved, then the student's respected that a little bit more. Kids are very impressionable. So, you know, even if it's painted plain white, if it's kept clean, kept white, you know, it will just perpetuate that idea that it's an important place and therefore the things they're doing are as important as they actually are. More from Joe shortly. And I'll be joined by our man on site, Peter Finn, in just a moment. Constructive Voices media partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland. Hey Pete, how are you doing? Steve, how's it going? Good to talk to yeah, you as always. Good, good th- I can't believe we're at the end of May already. This year's flying by and it means that we're now just, well, days away from Footprint Plus, this huge event that we've been talking about uh, over the last few episodes, which is taking place in Brighton on the south coast of the UK, uh, 7th to the 9th of June. It's going to be right there on the seafront, and the the whole focus is about sustainability and a move to a greener way of building. And I, I just, it's so exciting, this event. And we've got a great guest today who's going to be one of the speakers and talking more about that. And it's 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 going to be a really good interview, isn't it? Yeah, Steve, you got me excited with that one. That was like a, that was like the ring announcer before the, the Tyson Fury <laughs> boxing match. There, I was like, whoa, ready to go. So uh, you know, you're a hundred percent right there, Steve. Uh, Joe Jack Williams, he uh, is a certified passive house consultant. He's got huge experience in construction, but his main area of expertise or, or the area that he has a huge amount of experience in is probably the best way to put it, is how he, they use school buildings, how they design school buildings to make sure that those type of buildings are sustainable. So obviously this is, you know, has, has a massive connection with the Footprint Plus event that's coming up and Joe Jack Williams is going to be one of the the speakers there as well. So really good information he gives about how designers think when they are now designing buildings. Obviously, he speaks mainly about school buildings, but it gives a really good insight into the mind of a designer. And I I found it very interesting um, and I'm really looking forward to to hearing um, more about it as well to kind of know that this person is going to give us this type of information and this type of insight. Okay, well, let's hear Joe Jack Williams and then we'll come back and discuss a little bit more about it and uh, maybe reminisce a little bit about our own school days and the school buildings that we we loved so much, Pete. Uh, We'll talk about that shortly. Cheers, Steve. Absolutely. We'll chat then. Joe's been speaking with Henry MacDonald. So I trained originally as a mechanical engineer and sort of found myself working in the world of building services as an MEP consultant. But during the financial crash, it was just all a kind of a bit pants, if I'm honest. There wasn't the work was pretty poor. So I thought, thought, well, let's see what we can do. What what else is out there in the world? And eventually stumbled into a fully funded engineering doctorate with UCL, which is funded by FCB. So that that was in the world of um, uh, understanding education facilities. So looking at the built environment of schools and how that interplays with um, you know, the, the academic progression, if you like. So the, the kind of idea that we're really fortunate and that we have, you know, 180 architects who are engaged, 
bright. My role is really just to kind of perpetuate those things and make sure that we get something useful out of them and keep that kind of enthusiasm going. Over the past couple of years, it's kind of morphed into a bit more sustainability. We've recognized that sustainability is and always has been a core part of FCB, but really it needed that extra focus that the climate crisis has really kicked in. And it kind of ties back into my, my sort of old consultant days as being an engineer. Spent a long time talking about energy, long time talking about carbon. So it's kind of a nice sort of segue into it, really. The company's been in existence since 1978. So I suppose it could be argued that they have been pioneers in terms of sustainable design, design for social reasons. Yeah, absolutely. So Peter Clegg, one of his, he did a dissertation in MIT in the 75, 76, which is kind of the start of our thinkings for FCB and, and how it became which is really a response to the oil crisis, which is, you know, rearing its head and it does every sort of 10 or so years as there's another kind of oil crisis. So it's those ideas of low energy recognise that we don't have a lot of resources available. So that's how we were founded. And what was quite nice about FCB is we spent a long time working around research into those areas with passive solar design or kind of proto-passive house buildings in the sort of early 80s. But also beyond that, we also had quite a strong social commitment. So we used to have um, a kind of shop front to the practice. And people could come in just off the street and ask us questions as architects, really breaking down that barrier between you know, that kind of professionalism that architects are expensive. How do you get access to them? But actually, people come in, pay for an hour or two, chat to one of the architects, get a good idea from there. So, yeah, it's great. And, and that's that's kind of always been in, in the background of how we work. So, yeah, really fantastic to be within a practice that's got that history to it. One of your specialist areas is the field of school building design. Are we talking about schools all over the UK? Yes. So I, I primarily looked at uh, English schools because the data is typically easy to get to. But the, there is continuity between uh, UK schools. They have very similar kind of methods and curricula. Uh, and uh, have you actually worked on designing these schools you know, across the UK? Yeah, so as a, as a practice, we have I'm very much more on the, the research and academic side, so general ideas, whereas we've got a long history of de- delivering schools, delivering. particularly in England. I don't think we've delivered outside of England. I know we've looked at schools in Wales before, and I think we've looked at a few in Scotland, um, but certainly not in Northern Ireland as yet. I mean, we, back in the 90s, were pioneering school design, which really helped sort of inform what became the Building Schools for Future back in the sort of early 2000s, which became a much bigger program. And then as the government changed, they kind of scaled back. So, you know, with that came a big scaling back on on how many schools we deliver. A question that gets to the heart of the matter in a way, uh, the core question is, how does the design of a school impact on its students? Yeah, good question. So um, I spent six years in the end doing my, uh, my, (laughs) my doctorate trying to work out what the impact of schools were. And there's still an awful lot of work to be done. There's some great work by Peter Barrett, um, who's at University of Salford, really digging into this. In effect, a good school is there to enable a, a good teachers to perform much better. And they're very much that kind of enabler. What we'll find is if you've got a, a great building, but with a, a teaching staff that don't use it properly, um, a teacher staff that's not engaged, you're always going to struggle, but getting the basics right, you know, good daylight, making it f- people feel safe, you know, getting toilet design correct, you know, making nice wide corridors, all these things have impacts. So 
the the big finding I found was that um, if a school feels important and feels loved, then the students respected that a little bit more. So there's very much this case of it engendering us a kind of ideal of good performance. If it's poorly maintained, they won't respect it and it'll kind of disappear. So you know, it's, it's all about that, that kind of beacon of education, if you like. You go back to the kind of uh, Sherlock Holmes thing of you know, the, the schools of beacons of education. It's amazing, but they really are. And, and kids are very impressionable. So really push that forward, you know, even if it's painted plain white, if it's kept clean, if kept white, you know, it, it again will just perpetuate that idea that it's an important place and therefore the things they're doing are as important as they actually are. Yes, I mean, I, I, I recall being struck by the school my daughters went to when they left primary school in Belfast because one of the most striking things about it was there was lots of space and light there was a glass roof over the, the main atrium area of leading to all the classes. And I recall my own school days when, when we were in 19th century relics with dark, dank, uh, <laughs> foreboding kind of uh, hallways and, and classrooms. Do you think actually that the, the proper use of space and light, a building design like that can affect or even improve students' performances educationally? Yeah, I suppose the problem the problem with a lot of this is how do you measure attainment and academic performance? And, and that's the real complexity. The government will focus on academic achievement, you know, that's exam scores. They might look at um, absenteeism. I think they're all good indicators of school that's doing well, but but actually drawing a solid line between this is the building form and how the building works and the academic performance is just so difficult. There's so many variables. And if you look at lots of the, the studies and paperwork out there, they'll say, you know, I, I slight tweak in X value will improve uh, cognitive performance by Y. Cognitive performance is typically difficult, difficult to ratify with education. So yeah, really tricky. I mean, things like getting good daylight in there, it just makes everybody feel that bit more relaxed. And, and so it, it, there's lots of things we intuitively know, but don't necessarily have the techniques to measure. And I think finding the argument for those is always going to be the battle. So a, 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 a well-designed building with, with space and light um, will at least engender a feel-good sort of sense of well-being in, in, inside the school. I suppose that's a good start, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. So all those kind of health and well-being ideals, if you look at the well-building standard, which is you know, very broad and, and, and very detailed at the same time, if you manage to get those things in, actually you end up with a school that's, that is resilient, that is healthy, happy. You know, at least you know the students are, they have a, a healthy environment to work in. And that is half the battle. So, and then it's about education and make sure the teachers know how to use it and how the school uses it. Um, you know, we, we've got one school where the the students are told to be quiet when they walk around the whole building, not allowed to speak. And it, it's very bizarre, but it's a very beautiful space because the students all want to get out of the corridors and into the classrooms and talk, talk to their friends and all that kind of thing. And it feels kind of, um, I don't know, it's not, not what I'd expect to have enjoyed. Whereas we have other schools where you know, they're kind of encouraged to be loud and boisterous in the spaces. And then when they get in the classroom, they have to be quiet. 
So each of those schools make it work because they make it work. You know, that it's not about the building. Yeah. They've embraced the building and they found the way to make it work for them. So there's a whole raft of senior leaders really pushing this down through all the teachers, not all of the staff, not just the teachers, to make sure that the, how it operates is uniformly understood. Something perhaps we can compute more harder, if you like, uh, calculate, is the carbon impact of a building. Now, it's something I know you're, you're very knowledgeable about. How do you predict, measure, and mitigate the carbon impact of a building? Yeah, it's difficult. So as as a design progresses, you get a better idea of it. So as you get quantities, as you get more accurate modeling, you can make far more robust um, decisions. We use our in-house tool, SCBS Carbon. It's a good approximation of initial carbon impacts of a building. So we use things like uh, the Passive House Planning Package, PHPP, which will give us ideas of predicted energy use. And within FCBS Carbon, we can predict embodied carbon of the building and those kind of future carbon emissions coming from replacement and maintenance. It's not perfect, but what it allows us to do at those early stages is make predictions about what it could be and then see the impacts of our decisions. So if we change an interior surface, if we change the, the floor covering, we change the wall, we can see how those kind of fit and work together. So you can do it. There are tools and methods out there. There's... Those SIBs have produced guidance and Letty have produced guidance and the ROBA and RICS and, and many others. So we are getting to a kind of point where actually prediction of carbon impact of buildings should almost be routine. It's not quite there yet, but we are getting there. Is there some sort of machine or measuring device to do that? Is there something you put into the house or the building to compute what the carbon impact is? Yeah, the, the the easiest way to do it. So when so I'm I, I very much look at building performance. So I don't look at the occupants' lifestyles and and those kind of broader things. So when I talk about that, I'm talking about their food and their waste and their transport. Those are slightly trickier to predict. But actually, the biggest carbon impact of a building once it's built is their energy use. Mm-hmm. And, and what we actually have in the UK is lots of really good energy meters. Even if they're not smart meters, they're all calibrated. They're all fairly accurate. So we get really good data from that. And that, that's the biggest, the biggest driver. When you start to look at those bigger issues of, you know, do people drive or do they take the bus or do they walk? Actually, that's really tricky to do. You know, you're in this, this realm of making personal decisions for people. And I think a lot of people instantly would find that uncomfortable. But at least the, the, the energy, as you say, of a building or the use of the energy is is able to be calculated relatively accurately. I, I, I wonder, will uh, the use go down now that, now that energy is costing so much? Um, I, what I is mean, the purpose? So. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about I mean, What is the purpose of the tool? I mean, what is the purpose of, of, of recording the carbon impact? And can, and, and can it be uh, aggregated? To say, yeah. a, you know, a housing complex that's built the same way, for example, or even a town, who knows, in the future. Yeah, so th- there are there are definitely ways of doing it. Um, so they can be aggregated. Um, there are different ways of doing it. So the, the energy market is such that it, it is quite highly regulated, and they spend a lot of time 
gazing into it and understanding how energy fluctuates over time. So we can certainly see it at national levels very clearly. We can see whether things are um, where that energy is going in, in sort of general areas. There are bits of research at the minute looking at metered data in local authorities, for instance. Mm-hmm. But but really the difficulty is, you know, things like GDPR mean that it's not really okay to to monitor the energy use for our home because you very quickly become, you can find yourself in a position where you're making comments about their own personal life. It's much easier to abstract at the kind of level of, you know, if it's an apartment building, how's the whole apartment building? So it's much easier to deal with that. And and if you look at something like public buildings, all of their energy use is public knowledge. They should all be publishing their energy data through display energy certificates. There's a public platform uh, maintained by the government and you can go on and you can find the building and, and read all about it over the years so we are getting there the government do publish carbon emission factors for the entire uk broken down by sector it's not necessarily the most intuitive of breakdowns because you can't initially find out what's just buildings but we are starting to pull that pull those bits together and put them back together in, in a format that we need to be able to make those future advice on how does our buildings work and i suppose when you talk about public buildings Going back to the schools, that, that's that's a, a good place to start in terms of recording carbon impact. Absolutely, is the sort of especially um, for the new generation who are so concerned about climate change. Yeah, exactly, and and in lots of schools, you know, something like 30, 30 to thirty five thousand schools in England. Yeah, you know, that's a huge number of buildings. That any any impact you can have on those schools to reduce their energy use is you know, ultimately multiplied by such a huge number that it's well worth doing every time. And the, the Department for Education, to give them credit, do spend a lot of time looking at their school estate and how they can improve it, recognising that they're you know, one of the biggest clients in the country, effectively. Constructive Voices. So, Pete, there you go. Joe Jack Williams, one of the speakers at the Footprint Plus event, 7th to the 9th of June in Brighton. And, I mean, school buildings is his focus. And I think that's really really important that we we start building schools that are just great places for learning i mean i I can't really remember my my school days because it was so long ago but i do remember that the buildings tended to be quite dark they felt uninspiring i don't know if that was your experience as well and cold it would certainly be something that i would remember you know and maybe uh, not functioning that well in terms of you know long walks from one class to the other maybe stuff like that that just you didn't you didn't really think about it at the time you just did it but when you think back now you'd be kind of saying to yourself you know, a little bit more thought and foresight could have made that whole experience and the whole running of that school better. So what Joe Jack Williams has done is he's, so he he has taught at a number of universities in the UK. He's obviously being a student himself and he has such a, a, a wide variety of experience in particular in sustainability. He's developed a tool which is was able to estimate carbon life of a building and he's taken all those experiences and he's used them to assist in ensuring that uh, buildings such as school buildings and and like again this information and and these, these templates can be then used going forward into similar type of buildings so they're not that building which we we have from our, our childhood which was the big cold inefficient building which was 
fossil fuels burning away to get the rooms up to a certain temperature and then the budget was so much then that that was stopped and you just had to put your jacket on in the afternoon or whatever it was that went on in, in schools all across the, the world what they've done now is they've you know they've thought about things in a different way they're using more sustainable technologies that we have now making sure that you know the schools are, are set up in such a way that they deliver the functionality that's required for learning and education but also they are an environmentally friendly building to build and also to run afterwards. You know, it's not only buildings that are brand new off the ground. It's it's about how buildings that are, are existing can be um, adapted and and how they can be basically retrofitted to 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 be improved as well. And as he said himself, this template could and probably will be far reaching. Now, there's absolutely no reason why the technologies and the specifications and design details that are being used. On, on the projects that Joe's working on can't be used in, you know, somewhere else, you know, far side of the of the world and a different continent, few a few small tweaks to suit the climate and, and the environment over there. And you basically have the same situation again. Great stuff. Again, such positive stuff to hear and such great information to get. And again, this is only one of the speakers that is going to be at uh, Footprint Plus. So I mean, it's 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 a real. I was excited with your warm up chat earlier on. I'm even more excited now. So much good stuff. Yeah, definitely. And I think I mean we've talked about the the sort of younger generations before, and they're the driving force that they are behind the move towards carbon net zero and sustainability. And you know, it's going to be become increasingly difficult for buildings like school buildings and university buildings to not meet the requirements of those students because they're going to be there and questioning why this building isn't at the standard that it should be why it's leaking energy everywhere why you know things are not built the way they should be built they're going to be held to account in a way that buildings have never been held to account before because the students are going to be in them and expecting them to be sustainable there's no way to hide on this one yeah absolutely like the best way to change something is to get the young people on board early. So, um, unfortunately, in advertisement, they always aim for the young people because if you can get it into their heads that they, you know, a phone is necessary or, you know, a certain brand of a chocolate or a certain brand of a certain thing, if you can get that into a, a child's mentality earlier or a young person's mentality early, well, then it will they will take it with them for life. So, let's be honest, every young person is now growing up hearing about this climate challenge that we have, it is part of their makeup. It's not something that people like myself and yourself, we, we're having to relearn a little bit here. We're, we're having to upskill ourselves and, and and maybe change our hardware a little bit. Whereas the young people, it's going to be hardwired into them from a young age, which is a massively positive thing. And it means that that's part of their, their, their mindset going forward, which is fantastic. But it also means that they're not going to put up with you know, what we put up with when we were young, which is we, we described earlier on, you know, the single glazed windows and, you know, all of that type of stuff that went on in big old school buildings. Because And even new buildings were built at that because there was set budgets and there was stuff like that were just acceptable because of they were a means to an end, which was education. And you were only in there for a short period of time. So therefore, they were built differently to your your domestic house you know, homes were always considered the place where insulation should be put in and th- those more type of specification upgrades. Whereas now people are, are beginning to realize, hold on for a second, colleges 
uh, schools, universities, all of these places are now they're, they're they're functioning for much longer. Like like in 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 Ireland here, Trinity College is one of the biggest landowners in the whole country, and they've got a huge amount of buildings uh, all across Dublin city and all across Ireland itself. So for for any landowner, whether it be a, a private owner or or a, or a university or a college. You know, for for those guys not to be not to have to think about stuff in a sustainable way was not a good way of doing things, and that's changing now. Now we know that that every building is is being taught about in the right way, and every building is being designed with sustainability as one of the, the main agendas. So it's really positive stuff, and it was really great to hear someone who has genuine proper experience at this and is 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 really on you know, finger on the pulse in terms of, of, of this going forward. And it's really good to hear that this is a change that's happening in these institutions, in these designs for, for buildings and for schools going forward. So really good stuff. And again, you know, these, this is just one little nugget of information that we've got today. It, you know, it was great to have uh, Joe Jack Williams on to get that insight. Just think about the amount of people similar to, 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 to Joe that are going to be at Footprint Plus, that are going to have their story to tell, going to have their area of expertise. I'm that guy who's the big sponge that wants to go in there and absorb as much of this information as I can and then implement that as effectively as I can into what I do in my uh, area of construction and in, in my area of, of where I'm working. So really good stuff and uh, massive knowledge. I really, really think that... I upgraded my own hardware today, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Well, every day's a school day on <laughs> Constructive Voices, as that's for sure. The puns are um, flying. The puns are flying. <laughs> Looking forward to Footprint Plus then, 7th to the 9th of June. If you haven't got your tickets yet, go onto their website, footprintplus.com. You'll find all the information about, I mean, just a huge number of people who are going to be there as speakers and exhibitors and, you know, an opportunity for networking. Get your tickets and, uh, you know, we will bring you some of the flavor of the event as well in our next episode. Really looking forward to it. And Pete, you can't wait. Can you? It's south, south coast of England. It's, it's, and the weather's going to be scorching hot, <clears throat> hopefully. Uh, so we're going to have a lovely time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I can't wait. I've, I've got the bag packed. I'm ready to go. So uh, going to be there soon. And I really mean this when I say I can't, can't wait to get my feet on the ground, meet so many people over there you know, get so much information. And look, we're going to be bringing some of that information uh, forward with us on, on future episodes. We're going to have um, some great guests that we're going to have coming out of this event as well. And uh, as always, I'll, I'll ask them a few tricky questions. You know me, Steve, I'm, I'm, I'm not a yes man. I'm, I'm going to make sure that we get some some good information out of this. And uh, no, look, really good stuff. Really looking forward to it. And, you know, it's like a it's like I'm, I was like a child there at Christmas waiting for Santa Claus to come. Well, he's nearly here. He's nearly here. I can't wait. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> Brilliant. Talk to you next time, Pete. Cheers, Steve. And that's all for this episode of Constructive Voices. Please take a moment to share it with others who may find it interesting. Follow or subscribe to get the latest episodes automatically on your favourite podcast app and rate and review the podcast if you can. You can also listen to the latest episode by saying, Alexa, play Constructive Voices podcast. Here's Constructive Voices. Here's the latest episode. And on our website where there's lots more information too. That's constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something. Since April 2021, Constructive Voices has been engaging an audience across the construction industry through our podcasts. 
With at least two episodes every month, the podcast has attracted industry thought leaders on key topics including sustainability, technology, people and places. We talk about climate change, mental health, building technologies and materials, talent acquisition and development, diversity and inclusion, design techniques and trends, and much more. And now, now, the conversation's building. Constructive Voices is becoming a radio station, available worldwide online providing a new platform for the construction industry to share best practice, new developments, the answers to the big questions, solutions to growing challenges. 24 hours a day, we'll share insightful, inspiring and innovative views from the best in the business with even more voices and more topics more often. Constructive Voices Radio also enables trusted contributors to connect with our growing audience through branded content alongside our editorial features. Professionally produced Constructive Voices Audio content gives your brand a new way to tell your story, share your insights and engage with the industry. Constructive Voices Radio will be a compelling mix of in-depth interviews, industry news segments, coverage of events, and the opportunity for industry professionals around the world to add their experience and views. Constructive Voices, the conversation's building.